It's that time of year again. Time for Legend Comics and Coffee's third annual Make-A-Wish fundraiser. As always, Legend is selling door prize tickets for $5 each, with 100% of the funds going directly to Make-A-Wish Nebraska. Each $5 donation gets you one entry on our annual prize drawing, featuring over $7,000 in prizes. This year, our grand prize will be a copy of The Walking Dead number 1, CGC graded 9.6, valued at over $4,000. But the more we raise, the better the prize becomes. The grand prize winner will win copies of The Walking Dead 1 through 6, and we may even give away a second copy of number 1 to one lucky donor. Tickets are on sale now, and the drawing will be held on the evening of Free Comic Book Day on May 3rd. There's no limit to the amount you can give, so go to legendcomicsandcoffee.com slash donate now, and please help us spread the word about this great cause. This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner-nominated Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. Hacha! Hello, this is Fred Oppen. You may know me better as Tugboat XWWF Superstar. So they say I'm a legend now because I'm an old fart. And you're listening to the two-headed nerd with Joe and Pat. <laughs> Joe and Matt. Oh my god. I told you I had drain ramage. Down like this. Broadcasting from the cigarette in Omaha, deep below the metro area. It is my pleasure to welcome you to episode 159 of THN. We're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, April 23rd. My name is Matt Bomb. You can find me on the Twitter under the handle at Matt Bombstein. And when I'm not skipping C2E2 to play the role of good husband, because I am, believe it or not, I'm writing the comic speculator blog for wordpoint.com. That's not what I heard. I'm Joe Patrick. You can find me at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter. And when I'm not perfectly content to skip out on this year's 48-hour Chicago Pills, Booze, and Drugs Marathon, I'm the manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and the artist slash co-creator of the upcoming hit webcomic series, The Untold Tales of the Two-Headed Nerd. You keep saying it. I just don't even believe it. It's like a complete fantasy. Sorry, guys. It would have been great. In this week's episode, you'll hear our reviews of... The Eltingville Club, number one, and Secret Origins, number one. After that, we'll review ten more of this week's new comics. Faster than we can squeeze ourselves into some sexy cosplay outfits during the ludicrous speed round. And then we'll retire to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we'll be whining and dining some friends from the FCC for the secrets of next week's comics. And then we'll review Box Brown's Andre the Giant Life and Legend. When we play Take a Look, it's in a book. It's going to be freaking amazing. But before all that garbage, let's stop holding our breath. The long national nightmare is over, guys. Miley Cyrus is out of the hospital after a nine-day stint. But what she said was a reaction to sinus medication. And you know what that's code for? OD. Cocaine. <laughs> and then we'll talk about this week's big news. We got big news. You are not dreaming. We are trying to communicate with you. Wait, me? Local reality has been reinstalled. Things have gone wrong. Are you, are you talking to me? The revision has corrupted. Finding Ethan Crane is your supreme priority. I'm, I'm not sure what you're talking we about. We are speaking to you from the ultimate bunker within the structure of multiversal time. Is this rhetorical? Are you talking to me? Do not trust Darius Dax. I don't know who that is. We are all going to die. Wait, what? <laughs> With a series of very cryptic press releases, Image Comics has announced the return of Rob Liefeld's supreme... In a new story by writer Warren Ellis and artist Tula Lote. That's a great name. Yeah. Supreme Blue Rose number one will be released on July 23rd for $2.99. Talking about the series, Ellis said, quote, 
One day I woke up with an idea that came out of nowhere for how to extend this most strange and storied of analog properties into a new space. A new floor on top of Alan Moore and Rob Liefeld's house. And since I had some time on my hands this year, I emailed Image and we got my friend Tula Lote involved and her work will be a revelation to people. Now Matt, I've never really gotten invested in the character, even the Alan Moore version. Are you into this? I like Warren Ellis and... He's going to do something super weird here. I don't know Tula Lote. I think she's brand new. Okay. I, think, I don't think this is, I think this is her first comics thing. Yeah, I don't recognize that name at all. I'm curious to see what she can do. Supreme is one of those stories that I know is very intelligent and has been very well written. And like Alan Moore took a really throwaway Superman analog that Rob Liefeld came up with and made it pure golden age wackiness. Like just exploring the absolute ends of what you can do with a superhero comic. The last Supreme story that came out, which supposedly finished Alan Moore's run, I just found completely impenetrable. I, I didn't know what was going on, what it, what it was about, how to sum it up. It was unreviewable, I believe we said <laughs> when we looked at it. It was a weird one. So, I mean, I'll give this a try. Am I excited? I, I think that might be a strong word. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm excited for... Something new from Warren Ellis, not yeah. necessarily the return of Supreme. I like Warren Ellis. More work for him, good thing. I mean, I mean, one way or the other, we're going to read it. We're going to talk about it. It's a big deal. You'll hear it here first. And I love the idea that... You'll hear it here later. Right. <laughs> I, I, love the, I love the idea that they're just going to keep resurrecting these ridiculous old Rob Liefeld properties... But with completely bonkers creative teams yeah. in way different ways. Yeah. Like, I would love nothing more. The Return of Bloodpool by <laughs> James Stokoe or whatever, you know, the or whatever. The Return of Bad Rock. Right. <laughs> uh, and I think it's great. So I'm into it. I don't care about Supreme, despite what I've heard about the Alan Moore thing. I've never read it. I don't not care. <laughs> but I am interested to see what Warren Ellis does with it. Right on. In Marvel News, the publisher has announced, get ready. The Death of Wolverine, a four-issue weekly series launching September by writer Charles Soule and artist Steve McNiven. The series will tell the story of what happens when Logan's enemies find out that he's lost his healing factor and come for the revenge. In an interview with Entertainment Weekly, series editor Mike Mart said, quote, For a long time, no matter who Wolverine was battling, he's been the eternal victor. He almost always comes out on top. Now, he finally comes up against an adversary that he cannot win against. He cannot fight! What does that mean for this character who's been around for 100 years? Soul followed up with, quote, I hope that when people finish it, they feel like he died in a way that was true to him. Indicating that, for him, the story will serve as a definitive end to the character. How definitive do you think this will be, Joe? An issue or so. <laughs> you wrote a year. I, there's I did. no way. I mean, there's, they're not going to do this and then have him be back the next month. I mean, right. that's a little much. We're all cynical fans here. No one expects Wolverine to be dead for long. No. If this even literally means his death. Yeah. I mean, we've had plenty of stories like Batman R.I.P. where Batman didn't die. <laughs> yeah, no, he did not die. Like, what if this is just like Wolver- Wolverine... Coming to terms with the loss of his healing factor, and he just is like, you know what? The Wolverine is dead. Yeah. It's time for Jim Jim Howlett to live his life. The figurative death of right? Wolverine. <laughs> like, what a bummer of a story that would be. Could be. Who knows? That's a good creative team. It's a gimmick for B- sure. Big time. But 
again, who are we kidding? We're going to read it. It's going to be fun. It'll be fun. Yeah. I don't, that's the thing about gimmicks. It doesn't matter if they're gimmicks, if they're good. And they're all gimmicks. Don't kid yourself. Right. They're all gimmicks. These, the, all of these stories are marketing stunts. I like this creative team. Hopefully McNiven is already drawing it. Yeah. It's supposed to come out once a week for an entire month. So good luck, we'll Marvel. See. Good luck. We all remember how well that worked for old man Logan. Yeah. And that was only supposed to come out monthly. It's true. Finally, Variety has reported that actor Ray Fisher has been cast as Victor Stone, a.k.a. Cyborg. I think it's Akka. Akka Cyborg in Zack Snyder's upcoming Man of Steel sequel. Fisher is a relative unknown, having starred off-Broadway and in the 2008 short film The Good, The Bad, and The Confused. No idea what that is. Well, it's a short film made six years ago. I don't pay attention to anything off-Broadway. What's the point? (laughs) In the report, Variety states that Cyborg doesn't play a major part in the Man of Steel 2 story, but will have a, quote, much more significant part in future DC films. I wonder what they could be talking about. Cyborg, of course, who first appeared in the pages of DC Comics Presents number 26 as part of the new Teen Titans revamp created by Marv Wolfman and George Perez, is one of DC's most prominent African-American characters and would definitely add some diversity to DC's cinematic universe, such as it is. So, Matt, this movie will already have Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman in it, and now Cyborg. Why do you think they didn't just pull the trigger on a Justice League movie instead of doing a sequel to Man of Steel? Well, they definitely need to retitle this, holy Marvel's kicking our ass, what can we do? Last minute panic to get the Justice League movie going. This is what this is. It's going to introduce the Justice League movie. There's no way it's not. I like the inclusion of Victor Stone. That's great. And props for DC and Warner Brothers for taking an actual black character with a long history and putting him in a movie as opposed to grabbing another character and making him black. So it works. You know what I mean? Props to them for that. I don't know what to think of this movie because it just seems to get messier and messier. Well, we don't know the story. We, we don't know don't. any story details. And from everything I've heard, like, so they're saying Cyborg's role will be slight. And I've heard that Wonder Woman's role is not necessarily a starring one either. And so it makes you wonder if it's kind of they're tacking it onto the end or something to it, introduce this new stuff. If they're just, if the story really is just the focus of Superman meeting Batman. But it's just like broadening the scope to introduce the idea that this is the world they live in. Right. Then that could be good. Yeah. Like it's not it's not like the old criticism where oh, it's like, oh, this movie came out and there was too many villains and you couldn't focus on anything. Like if they're just going to show that this universe has a broad scope rather than spend the time, you know, like Marvel did, Iron Man movie, Cap movie, Thor movie, right. Avengers. Right. You know, they're just doing Superman movie and look at all these people that live in this world with Superman. And then the next thing is Justice League. Yeah. That might be a good way to kind of fast track that without it being a complete surprise, you know? Mm-hmm. This could be really messy, though. I'm it could again, be. cautiously optimistic. That's where I'm at. We well, none of us liked the end of the last Superman we movie all very know much. how I feel about Man of Steel. <laughs> and part of me. I mean, I don't know. They're not at a point where they can scrap it and start over again. They just aren't. No, no, no. And I'm not suggesting that they should. Obviously, they have a plan. Right. That's why like, it I doesn't think they're doing, seem like. This, though. Uh, while it does seem like like there's a lot going on, so it's chaotic in that sense. It doesn't seem haphazard. Mm, well, not yet, anyway. <laughs> like it, it, all of these, all of these uh, announcements seemed very carefully timed. Like I feel like this is a plan that they're executing, whether or not they will execute it well 
is the question. But I will agree that the more they add to this movie, the more potential for disaster. And so... True enough. It's going to be it's going to be interesting and I am regardless of my feelings for the first Man of Steel, I thought they did some things really well and I am looking forward to seeing how they develop a DC movie universe. We're going to find out, aren't we, buddy? You and me together. We are. We're all going to hold hands and bravely walk into the theater. <laughs> hand in clammy hand. That's the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories and everything we missed coming out of C2E2 this weekend, hit us up on the THM forums. Don't phrase it like that. Look, man, next week will be our C2E2 retrospective. Whatever. Hit us up on the THN forums where we'll be lamenting the fact that we're not in Chicago all weekend until you guys get so sick of it that you find a different forum to visit. The good news is every Friday, the potentially disastrous Joe Patrick posts the question of the week in our THN web forum. So there is a reason to stay, which you can find by clicking the link at twoheadednerd.com. Joe, what are we asking the listeners this week? This week's question, it was going to be about bromance, but I changed it. What? I demanded it. it it's still it's still about it's still about that. Because I demanded it. Yes, because <laughs> Matt demanded it. We want to know your favorite pair of fictional besties. Why exclude the ladies? It doesn't okay. have to be All a right. bromance. Okay, I like it. Fictional besties. I I said bromance, lady bromance, Andrea Shackling and Princess Ashley were like, dude, lady bromance is not a thing. Yeah, that's gross. Look, I don't know what else to call it, okay? Fair enough. Besties. Fictional besties. Fictional besties or just comic besties? It doesn't have to be comics. Fictional besties. Okay. If your best besties is, is, is Benedict Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman from Sherlock, then I want to hear about it. Right on. Because that's a good answer. That is a good answer. <laughs> you can call and leave a message with your answer using Skype. <sighs> really, though, our Skype panel is two at a nerd, all one word. Let's be honest. Don't bother. Or you can call our Ziggurat hotline, 402-819-4894, but keep it under three minutes. You will get cut off by Google. You can also send an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. But again, please remember, you've got other callers. Be concise. Three minutes or less. And stick to one answer. None of this top ten list garbage. Pick one group. Wonder Man and the Beast. That's a good answer. That's a great answer. Stick to it. It's not my answer. If you need more time, if you want to post your top ten, write to your heart's content on the THN forums in the question of the week section. I made it specially for you. Just for you guys. It's review time on THN where Matt and I skip going to the gym and instead sit in the THN tanning booth and review two of this week's new comics. Matt, you might want to roll over and brown those buns while you tell the kids what you read this week. I'll tell you what, it's a long winter and these lily white lumps of mine. <laughs> you <laughs> little son. This week I read the Eltingville Club number one from Dark Horse and yes, we tan in the nude. Written and drawn by Evan Dorkin. Doesn't everyone? Here's your solicit. After 20 years, three Eisner Awards and a smattering of hate mail, the Eltingville Club... The Eltingville comic book slash science fiction slash fantasy slash horror and role-playing club is finally breaking up when Bill's dream job in a comic shop turns into a nightmare for the club. More than bridges and membership cards are burned in a fiery, fantastic finale. Evan Dorkin is not for everyone. I remember years ago when I first discovered his milk and cheese comic, the story of an alcoholic piece of cheese and a carton of milk with extremely dangerous and violent rage issues, I instantly fell in love. A lot of my other comic book friends 
didn't get it. Later on, some of them did. Some don't. That's just how it goes. Dorkin's humor can only be described as black and sometimes even cringeworthy. Imagine Ricky Gervais or Louis C.K. with an absolutely filthy mouth and much more violence. <laughs> it's pretty violent. Here we see Dorkin holding a mirror up to the comic nerd community and showing us its darkest reflection, the Eltingville Club. If you've been to any comic shop, then you already know these characters. There's the hardcore horror nerd who revels in torture porn and obscure gore flicks. Fat ponytail guy who speaks solely in superhero references. Scrawny fantasy geek who smells like the dwarf he plays on gaming night. And sci-fi nerd who thinks he's smarter than you because he can explain how a warp core works. And of course, there's the angry, overweight, jaded, and greedy comic book store guy. In this story, Dorkin seems to be marching the Eltingville Club to their ultimate doom, and it all starts with Bill, the sci-fi nerd, getting a job at the local comic shop, Joe's Fantasy World. No relation. If I were to spoil what happened in this comic, you still would not believe me. (laughs) I will tell you that this is a dark, biting nerd satire taken to its natural and ridiculous conclusion. As with most of Dorkin's comedy work, this is packed with referential humor that will speak to fanboys and girls of every realm of nerddom. Dorkin's art is just beautiful, and it harkens back to the underground comics era of the late 1960s, early 70s, but he also crushes in these giant word balloons that contain entire paragraphs of extreme insults and vile cursing, sometimes so large that the characters' heads are forced to move to the left or right just to fit everything in that he's saying. Dorkin is a master of black comic comedy, and here he's doling it out with a flaming middle finger pointed squarely at us, the nerds, and I couldn't love it more. Comics don't get meaner, more offensive, or better than this. Buy it. Reading this made me very uncomfortable (laughs) because I've seen almost all of this behavior on display in real life. It's too real, man. Minus the comical violence, right? right? The reason the satire is so biting is because it's so close to the truth. Yeah. And thankfully, things are better than they are. The stereotype is not the norm anymore. Things are better. Matt and I certainly can attest to the existence of great shops out there. And really cool people that populate them and, and that make up fandom. And the existence of heads that run terrible shops. But, <laughs> but the fact that this sort of thing still exists, it is a reality. Yeah. And there's a great line specifically where Bill first starts and he's bagging and boarding comics. And the guy that runs the shop tells him to use little pieces of tape and make sure, you know, he's like, do you want me to price them all and stuff? And he's like, you want, really? Do you want to hold my IP too? <laughs> and he, he's like, well, why do we mark everything up? It seems like the bakery, you know, marking up the day old bread. <laughs> and it's a very viable question. I know? mean, <laughs> the tape thing really struck me. Um, <laughs> I don't want to uh, name names or, or say that I have I- intimate personal experience, <laughs> um, but I did have like a a post traumatic flashback where somebody tried to tell me that those price labels are a nickel a piece. You know, quit wasting yeah, a nickel a piece. <laughs> I was like, if these are a nickel a piece, you're gonna go broke. Yeah, a roll costs six hundred dollars. <laughs> but it is wonderful. The art is wonderful. Evan Dorkin is really a master cartoonist. 
And this is, it's mean and snarky and vile and petty. And it is very, very, very funny. It's not going to be for everyone. No. But I loved it. And I think that if you have a sense of humor about your fandom and you are somebody that has experience with comic shops and and the sort of people uh, that this book might kind of uh, address, you will absolutely get a kick out of it. I'm giving it a buy it as well. Yeah, just great satire. Joey, tell us about Secret Origins, number one, from DC Comics. Okay, I will. Okay, then. Secret Origins, number one, was written by Greg Pak, Kyle Higgins, and Tony Bedard. With art by Lee Weeks, Doug Mankey, and Paolo Sequera. Here's your solicit. At last, the secret origins of the world's greatest heroes in the New 52 can be revealed. This new series gets off to an awesome start with the origins of the last son of Krypton and Kara Zor-El, Supergirl. Plus, the first Robin, Dick Grayson. As solicits go, I've read better. Yeah. But it is very... Spells it out. It's to the, it's to the point. You know what There's you're There's no doubt about it. So this was a really weird week of comics for me. I started out thinking that I'd probably review Justice League Unlimited. Justice League Canada. Justice League United, sorry. <laughs> it's got three different titles. Justice League United Canada. Then I was so impressed with Electra, spoilers, that I switched that to my main review. But then I read Secret Origins and I just had to talk about it. Good God, man. You need to up your meds. Look, <laughs> I, sometimes I... Sometimes the river goes where it goes. I understand. The lead story by Greg Pak and Lee Weeks presents an updated take on the classic Superman origin that we've seen a million times. Then Kyle Higgins and Doug Mankey give us their take on the less familiar but no less iconic origin of Dick Grayson. And finally, Tony Bedard and Paolo Sequera offer a tale from Supergirl's past on Krypton. The last two stories don't have too much new to add to these characters' histories, but they do their jobs extremely well, I thought. And a well-told origin story, even a familiar one, is something I almost always enjoy. Right on. The first story, though, the Superman story, that was what made me put the book down and say, I have to talk about this. My disdain for the new 52 Superman in general is well-documented, and I won't dwell on it here, except to say that Greg Pak is the only writer to get me to reconnect to the character in nearly three years. Totally agree. Pak truly understands the essence of Superman in a way that supersedes the aesthetic differences, and the tweaks in his history. And in this issue, he manages to present an origin story that we can all recite in our sleep, but does it in a way I don't think I've ever seen before. Most Superman stories focus heavily on Superman's relationship with his fathers. Pack shifts the focus to Lara and Martha Kent. Pack's collaboration with his creative team, including the letterer John Hill, who perfectly executes the essential staggering of character narration boxes in a way that I won't spoil. And Lee Weeks, whose barrel-chested Wayne Boring-esque Superman is a far cry from Jim Lee's messy-haired pretty boy, resulted in a tale that had the John Williams theme crescendoing at the back of my mind as my eyes filled with tears. Not a joke. <laughs> this crybaby texted me last night and told me he was crying. I was crying <laughs> writing the review because I put on John Williams. He was like, I'm listening to John Williams. It's making me cry. I was like, what John Williams? What, like E.T.? And he's like, what do you think? And I'm like, I don't know. Jurassic Park? Jurassic Park. <laughs> All three stories have spectacular art and offer something that has been missing in the DC books for so long, at least for me, genuine heart if dc's reboot had started off like this instead of telling us hey some of it still counts don't think too hard about the timeline see right. you later right 
the new 52 would have been a much easier pill to swallow. But now here's some real talk. I can't give this more than a skim it. It's true that I loved it in a way I wasn't expecting and I'm genuinely excited for future issues, but I'm an easy mark. I've always been a sucker for the secret origins concept and I've been aching for DC to give me a reason to care again, even a small one. But not everyone will react this way. Also, the regular cover price for this anthology book is $4.99, and it will only ever be as good as the creative talent involved. True that. Like all anthologies are. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. It's packed full of content. The price is not an issue in terms of content, but it can be a little steep for someone that's only interested in maybe one of the stories. Right. But the issues that have been announced so far look like they'll have some immense talent behind them. So I give this issue a skim it with the recommendation that you watch this title very closely because I think it could yield some truly great stories down the line, just like Adventures of Superman sure, and sure. Uh, The Legends of the Dark Knight that we've been getting. Keep an eye on it. You might not want to buy every issue, but absolutely pay attention to what's coming down the line. I agree $4.99 is too expensive for this. And I think it would have been better served by maybe just telling us two stories and making it two ninety nine. Give us Superman and Dick Grayson in the next one. Give even three ninety nine. Yeah, you know, even that because it is thick. I mean, there's it's, yeah, it is. It is it a is. lot of content, and it was a long read, and that's fine and all. I will give you. I didn't have the same reaction. I agree with what you're saying, but I didn't really think about it until I heard you say it. Like while I read it, I was like, all right, yeah, you know, I know this story. All right, yeah, I know that story. But it really was reminiscent of the old DCU. It totally was. It was nothing new. I don't know how this is a secret origin, but whatever. It's just a that's just a title. It's just a wink wink nudge nudge term. But I you know, guys like me, I don't need to read these intros again because I know these characters and I know where they came from and whatnot. But I will say this did, you're right, feel very much like the old DCU to me. In looking back after you say it, you're right. Still, it's only a skimmit for me as well. We can be so that's a double buy it for the Eltingville Club and a double skimmit for Secret Origins. Of course, we want to know what you foul mouthed dorks and slightly reimagined heroes thought of these comics, so roll a critical failure. And then bitch about it along with your opinions over at the This Week's Comic section of the THN forums which you can find by clicking the forum button at TwoHeadedNerd.com. For reals. I don't think we could have made it any easier. I don't think so. This weekend, C2E2 Convention Chicago officially marks the beginning of convention season, and that means it's time for Joe and I to kick our cosplay into high gear. So join us now as we smash our bodies into skin-tight, revealing cat suits while we model everything from our sexy amethyst get-up to our downright slutty Zatanna outfits. All we review 10 of this week's comics during the Ludicrous Speed Round. Ludicrous Speed, go! Electra number one from Marvel. Take a book that I had zero interest in, add a great story by Hayden Blackman and stunning, stunning art by Mike Del Mundo, and all of a sudden you have something that catches my attention. I love the way that Blackman characterizes Elektra as basically a blank slate, and then surrounds her with characters that are full of personality. And honestly, I can't say enough about the art. It's beyond beautiful. Your instincts will tell you to give this a pass, but I'm telling you, don't miss out. It was awesome. Buy it. I'm going to read it this weekend. Conan the Avenger, number one from Dark Horse. Fred Van Lente gets his own Conan series, and the art by Brian Ching is very cool. The only problem here is the lack of Conan. (laughs) 
I liked Van Linty's previous Conan mini, but I don't know if it demanded a new series. Still, this is interesting, and the art will bring me back for a couple more issues. We're seeing Conan in a part of his world that we don't know much about. So that's kind of interesting, I guess. Maybe the story is going to go to someplace a little more interesting soon. Again, not bad, but only a skimming. Flash, number 30 from DC. Robert Venditti, Van Jensen, and Brett Booth take over the series with this issue and do a decent job setting up a newish status quo in the wake of Forever Evil. Spoiler alert. Humanity survives. hey We did it. <laughs> we did it. I think Booth is a decent fit for this series, and I know that he gets a lot of hate, but... I think he's a fine artist. Yeah, he's, he's flashy. He's a 90s dude. If they can just rein in his very wild, stormy sensibilities. And I like where Venditti and Jensen are taking the story. Plus, the new 52 debut of Wally West begins here. It's not in the way you might be expecting, or maybe it is. I'm feeling feelings about it. I don't know. I'm interested. It's not earth shattering, but it's well done. I'm giving it a buy. Stay tuned next week for the death of Joe Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> the Seventh Sword, number one from IDW. Screenwriter John Raffo, who I've been calling John Ralphio all week, <laughs> yes. who worked on Dragon, the Bruce Lee story, and Relic, a movie I really like back when Hollywood thought Tom Sizemore could maybe be a leading man. Ralphio tells the story of Mad Max if he were a samurai on another planet. Our Max here is named Cray. He's a mercenary that escorts fuel trucks across unnamed deserts after deserting his UN Space Force from Earth. See what I did there? Lots of setup here. So much that there wasn't much time to start liking any characters. But solid art by Nelson Blake II. Not bad, but probably not worth future reading, unfortunately. Give it a skip. 24, Underground, number one from IDW. Jack Bauer returns in this series, bridging the gap between the last season of the TV show and the upcoming miniseries, I guess, right? It's going to be like a 12-hour thing. Yeah, I guess. Great art by Michael Gatos, but this is a pretty typical 24 story. Not a slam. I mean that in the sense that fans of the show will feel right at home, but someone unfamiliar with the series won't find a lot to latch onto. Also, there's a cliffhanger where Jack meets a familiar nemesis, and I swear to God, I have no idea who it's supposed to be. Like, they don't say his name. It's just, ah, Jack Bauer. It's it's this moment where you're like, it's that guy. I'm and ready it's yet. just like, who the f*** is that? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Skim it. Danger Girl Mayday, number one from IDW. In true Danger Girl fashion, writer Andy Hartnell drops us directly into the action, and it doesn't stop until the very last page. I've never cared much for the super busty super spy babes, but Hartnell has a lot of fun riding them, it's obvious, and he really does a hell of a job. When are they going to give this guy a shot at G.I. Joe? Or better yet, just go ahead and give him the editor-in-chief job over at Zinescope and let him clean that place up. This is mindless comic cheesecake fun starring super hot babes. I can't not give it a buy it. That Danger Girl G.I. Joe series it's just from fun. a couple years ago was rad. Original Sin Zero from Marvel. This issue sets up Marvel's upcoming murder mystery event and gives you a reason why you should care that the Watcher is about to get whacked. Let's be real. Any book written by Mark Wade and drawn by Jim Chung is worth a look at minimum. Yeah. And while I was already interested in Original Sin, I thought this did a great job fleshing out the background of Uatu and, <laughs> and making me care a little bit more about Kid Nova. I think it's Utah. <laughs> R.I.P. Rich Rider. Even if you don't care about the event, this is a great standalone story. I'm giving it a buy it. Cool. Grim Fairy Tales, Helsing, number one from Xenoscope. 
What if Zatanna was Buffy the steampunk vampire slayer that dated Hades, the Greek god of hell, and talked like Mary Poppins? That's my solicit for this book. <laughs> All the usual GFT tropes are here. Tough, scantily clad, anti-hero woman walking around in what looks like modern-day Earth with a sprinkling of borrowed steampunk and vampire BS. But it's not poorly written, and the art wasn't bad either. Just really uninspired. A very, very low skimmit. <laughs> That's what I'm giving you. Okay. Justice League Untied, number zero from DC. <laughs> Justice League Canada makes its debut in this issue by Jeff Lemire and Mike McCone. It's an odd little issue that feels more like Justice League International than the recent Justice League of America, but it also doesn't give itself over fully to either comedy or action drama, so the tone is kind of all over the place. Mike McCone's art is great as usual, but he took Jim Lee's cue and over-designed the hell out of every character in the story. I think it's mandatory now. Even the aliens... And if you're keeping track, that is two Jim Lee slams this episode alone. Also, the colorist Marcelo Maolo, okay. Maolo sure. brings the same monochromatic flashes to JLU as he does to Green Arrow. And while it works really well on Green Arrow, it seems really out of place here in this kind of high-speed action book. Still, there's a lot to like about it, and the cast of characters is promising. I'm on board for a while. I'm giving it a skimmit. I liked it. I didn't love it, but I'll keep going. Right on. Hero Bear and the Kid, saving time. Number one from IDW. Mike Uncle's Hero Bear is the best all-ages comic on the shelves. I said it. There's no reason to draw this one out. It's the biggest of buy-its for this story of the secret origin of Hero Bear and the Kid. And it's written and drawn by a master cartoonist. If you have kids, buy this and read it with them. If you don't, buy this and feel like a kid again. I loved it. It warmed my cruel black heart. It'll warm yours, too. Buy it, buy it, buy it. Chomp, 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 slam! That is your ludicrous speed round, and chomp, 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 slam! is the sound of Hero Bear fighting a crabby crocodile, as seen in this week's issue of Hero Bear and the Kid. Saving time, number one. I almost said wasting time. Perhaps you've heard the news that the FCC plans to take a on net neutrality as we know it. Well, fear not, internet hippies. This week, Matt and I invited some friends from the FCC for dinner with the Purple Man and Mesmero, and after a little convincing... I'm making air quotes there. We're pr- I did it. We're proud to announce that the THN podcast will have no issues in the new pay-for-play internet. Of course, this was a perfect chance to plug some secrets of next week's comics from the weak-minded fools and also take some incriminating photographs for potential blackmail purposes in the future. You never know. Matt, what do these soft-skulled morons have you excited to read next week? Next week, I'm pumped up to read Star Wars Rebel Heist number one from Dark Horse. This is written by Matt Kent with art by Marco Castillo. Here's your solicit. A young rebel meets one of the Alliance's best for his first mission, but the young man's hero worship is crushed by the reality of Han Solo. A botched escape. That asshole. A ship that doesn't work. Could it be that Solo is just a lucky bumbler whose luck has finally run out? I picked this because Matt Kint's writing it. I want to see what that dude can do with Star Wars. I think it's going to be fun. And we're all going to buy Amazing Spider-Man number one. Let's not kid ourselves. Yeah, like we really need to Come on. talk about that. Joe Patrick, what are you reading next week? My pick for next week, I don't know if I'd call it a pick. I don't know if I'm excited. But 
I'm looking forward to reading. Nope, I don't even know if I can say that. <laughs> wow, this is one qualified pick. <laughs> Look, next week, Flash Annual 3 comes out. It is the debut of the new 52 version of Wally West. If you read Flash number 30, you will see that Wally West is not, it's not Wally West. It's not the typical Wally West. We'll talk about that next week. It's fine. We'll talk about that next week. If Joe Patrick is not a completely broken man. I'm not upset about it. I'm just, I'm, I'm being very zen about it. I'm trying to be mature and realize, look, it's a new generation. Okay. That's not my character. It's Listen fine. This. But I am curious to see what they do. So, Flash Annual number three from DC Comics. This thing's grown up. Dude. Written by Robert Vendetti and Van Jensen. Artist not listed. <laughs> Here's your solicit. The start of a major new arc for the fastest man alive. In the future, the Flash is a broken man. His powers have failed him time and again, at great cost to him and the city he has sworn to protect. Now, he's coming back to 2014 to stop the one event that destroyed his life. Meanwhile, in the present, Barry Allen must contend with thieves trying to capitalize on the devastation of forever evil. It's a tale of two timelines that ushers in one of DC's most storied characters, featuring the new 52 debut of Wally West. They didn't list the artist even in the description. Yeah, apparently he's not important. Nope. Maybe there's no pictures. TBD. <laughs> well, hopefully this one doesn't leave you a completely broken man, Joe Patrick. We'll see. This could shake you to your very core. I'm willing to take that risk. The THN trade of the week goes to Buddy Buys a Dump, written and drawn by Peter Bag. Or Baggy. Probably just Bag. Now in his 30s and married with a child, Buddy shaves his head, dons an eye patch, and buys the local dump. Because what better place to raise a toddler? Peter Bag's iconic character is a generation-defining slacker and perhaps the greatest comics character of his era, featuring stories originally published in the Hate Annual series, as well as an all-new 20-page conclusion to the story arc. This book marks the first new book of Buddy stories since the classics Buddy Does Seattle and Buddy Does Jersey, both of which, tons of fun. I love Peter Bag. Joe Patrick sat over here and tried to accuse me of not being a Hate fan. That's because he doesn't know me at all. I'm excited. I guess I don't. After all the sweet things I said about you on Comics Therapy this week. What? 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 <laughs> of course, we want to know what you're looking forward to reading. So if your internet provider pays their protection money, maybe you'll be able to let us know what you're planning on reading at the THN forums. It's a special time when the temperature gets warmer, the grass gets a little greener, the air smells a little sweeter, my allergies kick in, and Joe and I read and review one complete graphic novel. That's right. Just like grown-ups. It's time to play Take a Look, It's in a Book, and this week we're reviewing the upcoming book from First Second. I believe this is going to be available on May 7th, Andre the Giant, Life and Legend by Box Brown. Here's the solicit. Andre Rusimov is known as both the lovable giant in The Princess Bride and a heroic pro wrestling figure. He was a normal guy who'd been dealt an extraordinary hand in life. At his peak, he weighed 500 pounds and stood nearly seven and a half feet tall. But the huge stature that made his fame also signed his death warrant. Box Brown brings his great talents as a cartoonist and biographer to this phenomenal new graphic novel. Drawing from historical records about Andre's life as well as a wealth of anecdotes from his colleagues in the wrestling world, including Hulk Hogan and his film co-stars, Brown has created in Andre the Giant 
the first substantive biography of one of the 20th century's most recognizable figures. Now, Matt, you grew up a little Hulkamaniac, didn't you? What did you think about this? What did you think about the story of his nemesis? Before we get into it, I should say a lot of people are will poo-poo wrestling as being, you know, misogynistic and macho and fixed and stupid and whatever. And it is. That's all that's all part of it. But I will also say that when I was growing up, these guys were icons. These guys were real life superheroes. And Andre the Giant, I didn't really know him until he was a bad guy. Until they made him the heel. And the whole idea was to introduce Hulk Hogan as the new champion and king of the WWF, which it was called at the time. The World Wildlife Foundation. Yes, the World Wildlife Federation. <laughs> I had always known about Andre the Giant. I've always loved Andre the Giant. I loved him in The Princess Bride. He was just this huge, larger-than-life figure. I'm wearing an Andre the Giant t-shirt right now while we do this. <laughs> in honor of this review. Yes, by design. By design. <laughs> But we really don't know anything about him outside of what people have said about him. And I really like that Box Brown, who is a biographer, went out of his way to not build a myth or a legend here. Right. He told a very down-to-earth story of a complicated guy. Andre the Giant, Andre Rusimov, was actually a like Russian transplanted French guy who grew up on a farm and happened to have gigantism, which is basically... He a giant. He a giant. He basically, your pituitary gland keeps telling the body to grow past the time where it long should have stopped and your knees give out. Your heart keeps growing until it gives out. There's all kinds of pain involved in it. and Yeah, I mean, they told him he'd be lucky to live to 40. Right. And he lived into his, I think, early 50s. I think that's right, but he was in a ton of pain. And this is a look at the man, not the persona of Andre the Giant, but more a look into the story of a man who accidentally found his niche and loved what he was doing so much that he fought, literally fought through amazing amounts of pain to put on a show for everyone. And when it became time to become a bad guy, which was kind of unthinkable for him, he really liked being a good guy. He did it with grace. I don't want to spoil too many of the of the moments in the book, but one of the things that I liked the most is that moment where he's, in regards to their plan to make him the heel, to elevate Hulk Hogan, he says, it's Terry's turn. Right. And Terry is, is Hulk Hogan's real name. Right. Uh, and I was just like, Ah, that's awesome. And like, Andre were... the Giant was like willing to make himself reviled to lift up somebody else. Yeah. That, that is. And him and Hogan were super close friends. Yeah. And, and it is very clear from the intro. The story opens with an interview that Hulk Hogan did. Yeah. Uh, where he is just obviously reverential. Yeah. Gushing about his friend. Of Andre. And I think the really interesting thing here is they show Box Brown goes out of his way to show that he was a flawed person. Oh, absolutely. Andre the Giant. Like, he is not. He was a drinker. Um, he drank massive amounts of alcohol, and it got him in trouble sometimes. He was a deadbeat dad. Yeah, he had a child uh, with a woman sort that he of slept racist. With, that he never raised. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know that he was a racist more than he was just kind of a loudmouth drunk, and he liked pushing people's buttons. There's a scene on the bus where he's driving around. I can't remember the wrestler's name off the top of my head, but he was a, a black wrestler, and he drops an end bomb in full earshot. Of this wrestler. And I don't think it's because he hated black people. I think he liked pushing people's buttons because Andre the Giant walked around 
really feeling like he was unstoppable. And he was. Everyone I mean, told him he was unstoppable. To a large degree, he, he was. Yeah. He uh, was just a massive man. And everywhere he went, he was an outsider. He was a, a freak of nature. And he kind of embraced that and people loved him for it. And he even goes as far as like to apologize to the wrestler that he offends in a roundabout kind of way. But he was like, look, man, I was drunk. And when I'm drunk, I'm an asshole. Sorry about that. Let's get back to work. One of the other things that I really loved was, and I don't, again, I don't remember if maybe it was Hulk Hogan that said this in the book, but when, when they were talking about his, uh, his sometimes negative behavior, mm-hmm. Uh, this person responds with, think about what his life is like. Yeah. His entire life, he's not fit in anywhere. Even in the ring, he is an outcast. Right. And, like, he's never comfortable. Not ever. He can't just relax. He Everywhere he goes, he's stared at. He is physically in physical discomfort. Yeah. You know, the world is not big enough for him. And that's what it's like to be him. Yeah, it was just a really... It was a it was a reverent and loving portrayal of this man, very much not so. the not a myth, a, a man that had a really f- bizarre life and made the most of it, but wasn't without his flaws. Right, and that's what I loved most is that it didn't present him as this god, like this unfallible, right. Or a myth or something. Like, and Brown goes as far to say in his opening, I had to take some liberties with the story because it's word of mouth. There is there's no, no record. Yeah, there's no real autobiography of Andre the Giant. You know, So I had to take some of this is fiction, sure. But we sort of pieced together what we know of the man to give this story. And it comes across as honest. It comes across as real, a little shocking, sad, sweet. I mean, this is just a fantastic story. And Brown's art is perfect for a story like this because it's a larger-than-life story, and he's able to draw under the giant as this huge character in the panels with a very cartoony and simple style that works so well. But you know what I love? really humanize You know what I loved about the art is that he wasn't always... Larger than life. Yeah, he was always big. Yes, but right. there were the, there were those there were those panels and those beats in the story where he's comically big. Yeah, like where he got in the ring, and you then, know, and all of a sudden he's gargantuan. And then you know? there are then there are panels and pages where it's like, oh, he's much smaller than he was. He's yeah. still bigger than everyone else in the room, but it's like, no, this is different. He's not. Yeah, this is Andre the man, not Andre the character, not Andre the giant. Yeah, and. Uh, I loved that. That was one of the first things I noticed in the book. My favorite bit of storytelling in the book, and it goes along the lines of that quote from Hulk Hogan or whoever it was about him not being comfortable anywhere. There's a lot of travel scenes, travel scenes everywhere they go. Because Andre the Giant, as a professional wrestler, literally traveled everywhere around the world. He saw a lot of places. He wasn't from America. And so he went everywhere. Imagine having to travel for such a huge part of your life and never once being able to fit in the airplane bathroom. Yeah. Right? So they talk about like on the 17 hour flight from Japan to America, what does Andre the Giant have to do? Yeah. He's like, well, I cleaned it all out, boss. <laughs> <laughs> and then he does nothing but play cards. He doesn't drink or anything. And I just love 
Like they keep reminding you that Andre was this this man that could never just go along in the same way everyone else could. His life was always more difficult. Yeah, he didn't fit here. His existence was harder. Yeah. Even though, you know, he had this huge life full of excess and, and women and celebrity, it was really tough. Yeah, but it's a story of a kind and gentle giant, you yeah. know, a guy who gave his fans everything and looked at his mortality. He was told he was going to die and didn't really think twice about it. Just went, all right, that's what happens next. Yep. And faced we his have mortality. A, we have a show. We have a show to go to. Yeah. Let's, let's and go. triumphed over it. And it's a sweet story told by someone who obviously has reverence for these actors, wrestlers, whatever you want to call them. And I would love to see more. I'd love to see the story of Hulk Hogan. I'd love to see the story of Terry Funk. I'd love to see all this stuff. You know, I mean, man. This was really well-researched and really well-executed. Oh, yeah. Huge buy-it from me. Absolutely. And there was a several-page intro and then also a glossary and an index full of, like, references. Normally, I'd, I'd kind of gloss over that stuff. You yeah. Know, I would get to the meat of the story and, yeah. and, and whatever. But I read everything in this book, all of the explanations and everything, and I found it completely fascinating. At the end of the book where it had the appendix where – it's like on page this, it's the uh, the bus incident with the with the N word, right? And and here's how I pieced together that story. And in the beginning, he talks about pro wrestling as a thing, and he doesn't make any bones about it. Wrestling is fake. Yeah, it's an act. Yeah. It is not. The, certainly, they are talented athletes, but. They are actors, and it's a show. Yeah, it's a dance. It's a show. And they don't ever shy away from it. They don't ever... Uh, they they completely pull back the curtain in a way that, that I think wrestling is very hesitant to do. Oh, yeah, definitely. And they even talk about that a little bit, about how, you know, everyone knew it, wink, wink, but wrestling, WWF, and all those organizations absolutely played it like it was for real. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and... It wasn't until maybe recently, like like the last decade, that we actually started paying attention to their lives. Yeah, and these uh, men, their that, history. That the people behind the scenes were like, okay, look, it's fake. And he cites that Beyond the Mat uh, yeah. documentary that came out that like showed the heart wrenching story of like Jake the Snake and stuff. Yeah. So like, but it was absolutely one hundred percent compelling and touching, beautifully drawn. This is an absolute buy from me. It comes out on May seventh. Pre-order a copy from your local comic book store or wherever you get your stuff. Yeah, you're going to see this on some Eisner lists. But it was wonderful, and I loved it. And thanks to First Second for hooking us up with a copy. Yeah. Well worth your time, even if you're not a huge wrestling fan like I am not. But if you were a child in that era, even if you think you outgrew wrestling, you yeah. will 100% enjoy this. This was like, I mean... You know, the 80s, Michael Jackson, Andre the Giant, you know, Darth Vader. These were characters that everyone knew. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I list Michael Jackson in that fictional character. Right, right. He, obviously, he's, he is fake. Of course, we want to know what you guys thought of Andre the Giant Life and Legend. So when you pick it up, head to the THN forums and let us know. We have a take a look section. And next month on the show, we will be reviewing Ed Pisker's Hip Hop Family Tree Volume 1 from Fantagraphics. I am excited. It looks completely amazing. And it is an autobiographical documentation of the beginning of hip hop, where it came from, its history, 
DJs, rappers. Ed Piscor is amazing at this kind of stuff. I can't wait to sit down and read this. Ed Piscor, fun fact, one of the first people to ever follow us on Twitter. Cool. And I was like, who is Ed Piscor? <laughs> <laughs> this was years ago. Sort of sort break, of, it, sort break of, it down like down this. Down. And that is it for the Death of Net Neutrality episode of THN. If you prefer a mobster protection racket to the hippy-dippy internet of old, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes or Stitcher or TuneIn, where we still need your iTunes star ratings, your reviews, your Stitcher thumbs up, and your TuneIn hearts, because it helps us to connect with other potential listeners. Thank you, thank you, thank you to our latest sustaining members, Sam McGuffey. We're just we're putting that guy in the source wall. He's no longer an Euro we, Metal member. We've run out of fictional metal on the to source wall make, to make trophies <laughs> out of. And Travis Brown, we love you just as much. And if you'd like to help keep us in bribes and gifts for our FCC overlords, you can make your donation in any amount using our discreet little PayPal button at toitednerd.com. And if you want to become a sustaining member, like Sam and Travis, it's as easy as clicking the Make This Donation Monthly box, and as little as a dollar a month really does help. And tickles our little pickles. While you're there, you can find links to all of our contact info via Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Skype, and the Ziggurat Hotline, 402-819-4894. Using this heaping pile of resources, you can beg the comic pushers for reading suggestions, or you can hit us with your Ask a Nerd comic questions or trivia challenges. Haven't had one of those for a while. Or you can ask us to review your self-published comic, be it printed, digital, whatever. And don't forget to sign up for the THN forums, guys. It's your little virtual piece of the ziggurat where you can discuss this week's show, talk about the death of the internet as we know it, or just rap about comics. You're really broken up about this internet thing. It's serious bull****. Remember to follow us on Twitter and like our Facebook page and watch the forums if you want to get in on the question of the week discussion. And if you want to hear our answers along with your own audio responses, be sure to check out the Two-Headed Nerd Answer of the Week podcast. If you're already a subscriber to this show, you've done it. You don't need to do anything more. It'll appear in your feed every time we publish it. Next week, it's time for another wild card show where anything can happen and probably will. If you need more THN in your life, get over to TwoHeadedNerd.com and check out Batman Forever. Volume 3 this week. Going strong. Aaron Myers Ludicrous Speed Reviews. They're not for everybody. Ruffled a little feather. uh, Ruffled a few feathers (laughs) this week. Let's be honest. Toughen up your skin before you go in. A truly outrageous Saturday morning cartoons all about Jim and the Holograms from The Credible Hulk. Big in the news right now. Big in the news. Jim and the Holograms movie coming. And coming very soon, an all new web comics a go-go by our buddy John Luttrell. He's got some time on his hands apparently. His podcast went away. Oh. Our weekly shout-out goes to Wooly Toots and his lovely wife, Suzanne, who just this morning gave birth to baby Conan the Savitas. Welcome to the world, son of Toots. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics, most notably The Wars from IDW, where you can read a full review by our very own Joe Patrick in the pages of the comic next week. That's right, baby. We're published. And if you do so, your retailer just might kiss you on the mouth for it. This is a two-headed nerd signing off.